Hey guys, welcome to Free Thinking with Montel. And I've got some information that might seem a little staggering to most people who are really uh, uh, unaware of this. According to the Centers for Disease Control, one in six veterinarians has considered attempted suicide, considered or attempted suicide, and one in 10 suffers from severe psychological distress. In short, the veterinary industry is in the midst of a serious mental health crisis, just like the rest of this country is in the mix of, I believe, you know, a next pandemic. And, you know, that we're just coming out of this pandemic. We're about to go through another pandemic of mental health. The Journal of American Veterinarian, Veterinary Medical Association conducted a study looking at suicide among U.S. veterinarians from 1979 through 2015 and found that veterinarians are up or up to about 3.5 times more likely to die by suicide than the general population. Today's guest is an emergency small animal veterinarian currently practicing in Castle Rock, Colorado. She earned her undergraduate degree from the University of North Dakota and graduated from vet school in 2009 from the University of Minnesota. She has practiced veterinary medicine in Hong Kong, Minnesota, Oregon, and Colorado. She is also a mental health advocate passionate about shedding light on the mental health issues within the veterinary industry. Dr. Carrie Daly, thank you so much for being a part of Free Thinking with Montel today. Thank you for giving me such a great um, platform to talk about this. It's it's rare to get that. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. And people need to talk about this. But before we get into the, the topic itself, I want to know a little bit about how did you come to realize that you wanted to be a veterinarian? And is it something that you have always wanted to do? Um, so a lot of people they've known since they were a kid. I did not. Um, I was always really interested in science. I loved biology in high school. Um, and I basically decided my senior year of high school, which was more than 20 years ago now, um, in an AP biology class. And we had the option um, to do several end of class, end of year projects, uh, anything from writing a paper to doing what was called a farm out, which was shadowing in some sort of STEM based field. So at random, I decided to shadow at uh, a vet clinic. And, and at this point, I was in Bismarck, North Dakota, so not a huge town, um, and instantly fell in love with it. Um, one of the doctors was doing a pregnancy check on a horse, and I saw the foal's heartbeat, and that was it. It was that moment for me, and I never turned around after that, which is quite funny because I haven't touched horses in about 15 years, but that's what started me on the path anyway. Wow. Were you always the animal lover, or...? Mm -hmm. Animal activist, no, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think as much as you know, it's so natural for kids to, I think, really love animals, and so it was not anything that had ever crossed my mind. I kind of realized that when I, when I did this farm out, um, was it had just never even occurred to me to become a veterinarian. But then once I made the choice, it seemed so obvious. Um, you know, having grown up respecting animals and loving animals and um, wanting to do some meaningful work in my life, so. Well, you know, a lot of people aren't, aren't aware of the fact that veterinary school is just like going to regular medical school, is it not? It is. I mean, what was that experience like for you? Um, it was great. So I have some of my very, from a more personal aspect, some of my longest term friends uh, are from vet school because you're so in it. But the first two years mimic medical school very closely. So you do high school, um, you do four years of an undergraduate degree, um, unless you're going, there are some schools in the UK and so forth where you do like a six year combined undergraduate and veterinary degree. 
Um, but so in the United States, you do four years of an undergraduate degree, then four years of veterinary school, which gets you a doctorate. And if you want to specialize, meaning you want to become a veterinary internal medicine specialist, a veterinary surgeon, um, a veterinary dermatologist, oncologist, it is an additional internship and three years of school. And so it does mimic the, um, the medical field very closely. The major difference, obviously, is we are looking at multiple species. Um, and if you want to go into general practice, uh, it's you can be done at the end of your four years of veterinary school. Wow. Now, what was, what's, the, what's the most rewarding part of your job? Oh, that's a great question. Um, there are several, and some of them might be surprising. Um, I've done so many different things in the 12 years I've been a vet. I worked as a shelter vet, and that was really, really rewarding, um, getting animals off the street and into homes. I've done wildlife work, and I participated in, um, you know, releasing owls in Hong Kong, and that is just it's such a powerful experience and it's actually very meaningful to me when I can coach a client through euthanasia, um, which most people say kind of assume that that's the worst part of my job. Um, but for me, when an owner is making that decision about a pet they love, it really kind of, it cuts through all the BS, right? Like it's a person um, making a choice to advocate for a being to their own detriment. And I think that really highlights the good that can exist in humanity. And so for me, being able to be present during that period and having people put trust in me to help them make that choice is extremely meaningful. It also obviously helps us prevent animal suffering, which has kind of been my whole goal uh, the entire time I've been a vet in the various fields I've been in is just to do anything I can to minimize animal suffering. And you work with all animals. So I do mostly dogs and cats. Um, I will see exotics and pocket pets. I kind of joke um, anything that can walk through my door, I will see it. I've worked at many hospitals where we've had to see birds and reptiles, um, our little pocket pets like guinea pigs and sugar gliders. Although sometimes people will say, well, a baby giraffe could walk through the door theoretically. And I say, oh, <laughs> anything that would realistically walk through this door. But I have worked with pot-bellied pigs um, and, and it's, it's so there are so many different species that are companion animals now that I try to just be really supportive of owners who have those kind of more unusual pets. Sure. Now, what would you say the hardest part of your job is, especially the hardest part emotionally of your job is? Um, one, animal abuse. We do see it. Um, we see animal abuse. We see animal neglect. And knowing that it's really important to advocate for that animal. Um, but then also, you know, sometimes I'll deal with an animal abuse case and then I'll go into an exam room to see a new puppy. And it's really hard to switch gears like that, to go from this really devastating experience and then go directly into um, being really excited about a new family member, things like that. Or, you know, dealing with this emotional trauma at home and then coming home to my kids and not putting that on them as well. So finding that space um, both to advocate for the animal without kind of destroying myself. Right. Now, you know, how has the pandemic affected your personal career and, and the industry as a whole? It's been wild. So nobody expected this, but um, it, it's, it's just been absolutely bonkers in the vet industry since the pandemic for several reasons. 
So when we went on lockdown, you know, we really didn't know what would happen. As an emergency vet, we were obviously staying open. And so that was a little bit scary during springtime of last year when there was still so much unknown. Um, you know, my husband's a pilot. I, I went into work. We have three young kids. Are we doing everything to keep our families safe? And we didn't know what our job security would be. But um, there are different statistics you can find. Um, one article I read said, one in three people adopted a new pet during the pandemic, myself included. <laughs> um, and uh, other articles are saying that shelters are seeing a 30 to 40 percent increase in adoption rates because so many people were working from home and it was a good opportunity to get pets. And so um, we've just been so incredibly busy. Well, I just saw a, a, a segment on a new show talking about the fact that now there seems to be this surge of returns of adopted pets now the pandemic seems to be over yeah um we're still seeing loads of new animals coming in but i I absolutely believe it's happening people who kind of um it's a hard decision to make and there's a lot that goes into adopting a pet um and so i absolutely believe that that we always will see returns to shelters or animals passed on for whatever reason, whether it be financial, emotional. Um, and so with an increase in pet adoption, seeing an increase in returns is not great, of course, but um, I guess to be expected. But now, were you seeing a lot, were a lot of people bringing their pets to the vet during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. So to give you some examples, um, the hospital I work at uh, right now has only been open for about three years. It's a privately owned specialty hospital. Um, and we have just quadrupled in business in the last year. And what we're actually seeing is that many emergency and specialty hospitals actually are having to close their doors for several hours or a day because they reach capacity, meaning there's no more space. All the kennels are taken. You know, vets are working 20 hour shifts. It's pretty routine for us to work anywhere from a 12 to 20 hour shift just to meet the needs of all the patients. Um, and so we're seeing some overflow from that on the private practice standpoint, meaning your regular vet that you call and make an appointment for, for vaccines or to have the ears checked or, um, you know, your annual exams, um, their wait time is anywhere from two to eight weeks. Um, because, uh, again, there's this huge influx of animals and if and, and probably a lot of people have read about the great resignation post-COVID, we're seeing that in our field as well, um, that people are burning out and taking steps to maintain their own mental health. And it's largely female driven. And so a lot of women had to take steps back to remote school their kids, men as well, too. But again, um, there's articles on the, the role of the pandemic on women. And so we are just getting hit kind of on multiple fronts right now and trying to do the best we can to maintain um, animal welfare and health. Um, but it's, 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 it's bonkers. I will say that. Yeah. Well, so I guess we're seeing just, I guess maybe you have to correct me, but you know, in the veterinary field, I'm sure that you're showing similar signs as in the regular medical field that, you know, the number of new accessions, I mean, you know, there are people who are aging out now and finding it, then we're finding it tough to find replacements. I mean, you know, you got a couple of generations in a row here who have been more interested in the internet and being a social media star than actually doing anything good for society. So you don't have as many people trying to enter veterinary school as before. Is that right? Um, I actually don't know how much the numbers have changed. I know a lot of people 
are interested in it, but will eventually decide not to just because the student loan debt is so debilitating. Um, so vets entering school this year can expect to graduate with probably three to $400,000 in student loan debt. And so it's for many people, as much as they want to be doing work like this, it's not financially feasible. Um, and even when I went, it was not a great financial choice. Um, and so people are finding ways to advocate for animal health in a way that doesn't involve becoming a vet. This is a conversation I've had with many, many, you know, people who are interested in becoming a vet or a veterinary technician is I don't know if I can swing it financially, but so absolutely, I think that we are going to see, um, you know, problems replacing vets as they retire and already, um, it's very much like an employees market. Is that the right way to say it? Where there's lots of jobs out there and not enough people to fill them. Yeah, you know, it's kind of um, crazy, though, because people, I think, assume, they just assume that vets make as much as regular doctors. So therefore, you know, you guys are all driving around in Lamborghinis <laughs> and Rolls Royces. But the truth of the matter is you don't get even half the pay. Is that right? No, probably, a, I think a quarter of what of what doctors make would be a very liberal estimate. For what it's worth, I, I drive a uh, 2003 Tahoe that I bought for $500 up in the mountains here. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. well, you know, now what do you do outside of your work to care for your own, you know, emotional health and, um, you know, care for yourself? Do you, do you have anything that you do outside of your work? Well, I go on podcasts with Montel Williams. So, that's <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am terrible about self care, but there are things I enjoy. I do a lot of writing. Um, I take some classes through a group called Lighthouse here in Colorado. That's pretty fabulous. Um, I keep bees. I absolutely love that. So I keep bees. I have a vegetable garden. Um, I absolutely love writing. And then I do, uh, you know, kind of some more adrenaline rush things. I love snowboarding. Um, you know, we've got my five-year-old on blue runs now because we've been taking wow. every couple, you know, every year. Um, and I love running uh, trail marathons, ultra marathons, although I have not done one since pre-COVID. Um, so I am lacking in that area. But so I try to find the quiet activities and the more adventurous ones. And I attempt to meditate wildly unsuccessfully. But <laughs> when I have managed it, uh, just that quiet time really, really helps. But most of the time I'm either working or with my kids, which is uh, fun, but as most parents can attest, is not particularly zen. So, well, you know, at the top of this, I, I talked about the fact that there seems to be a growing crisis among veterinarians, and that is the suicide rate. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on and what your peers talk about, and and what are some of the pressures that uh, people like you know the normal people just don't understand that vets are going through? Yeah. So first off, I'll just mention really briefly for anyone who wants more information, there's a really good group called Not One More Vet, um, N-O-M-V. You can just Google it and they have a web page. And that um, is a really great organization that's raising awareness about this. Most people kind of um, have in their mind that dentists have the highest suicide rate amongst medical professions, um, which is true um, and not meant to minimize at all uh, any... Um, I wouldn't think that. I'm just, well, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, and, um, it, and, but for it's, we're actually higher, but we're kind of outside because we're not human medical professions. So if you look at medical professions as a whole, 
Um, veterinarians have a suicide rate anywhere between 3.5 to 4 times that of the general population. Um, and there's several reasons for that. Um, do you want me to go? To sure. That? Yeah. Talk a little bit about that, yeah. Um, so one is the emotional strain. Um, it's really, really hard to do this work. Like it's really hard to see innocent creatures suffering. Um, and, uh, you know, there's the financial aspect of it that um, many of us will be paying off student loans for 25 or 30 years from school to do something we're passionate about. But that that really limits what you can do in your free time to, to take care of yourself. There's the hours. I haven't worked less than a 12-hour shift in a decade, you know, and, and on the emergency side, we're exempt from breaks because you can't control when emergencies will be coming in. So I have a very supportive boss right now, but by the nature of the work we do, um, you know, it is often 16, 18 hour shifts without any sort of lunch break where you're just eating your lunch while you're talking to owners and trying to do so quietly. Um, there's also the, the access. I mean, we euthanize pets and we see how beautiful this can be, right? It's such a, a gift in many ways and not to sound cliche, but we can decide to allow an animal to die in peace and with dignity. Um, and so for many people, they do this enough times and they see how peaceful it is. And you will find that many um, vets uh, are open to the idea of, and this is a whole separate contentious topic, but open to the idea of assisted um, death in, in humans as well. Um, and so, and there's the access. I mean, we have direct access to pentobarbital, which is the euthanasia solution that allows a painless death. And so that's not reason enough, but if you have someone who suffers from severe depression, anxiety, this is exacerbated by emotional stress, by financial stress, um, by long hours worked, um, by clients who um, can be really, um, this is a whole separate topic as well, but many clients, especially this last year, we're an easy target when, you, when times are rough, right? Um, Why don't you talk about this though? Don't, don't just don't just gloss over. over it. Talk about the responsibility of you know these animal parents who come in and use you as their whipping post. Right, and it is I think because a lot of people in the vet industry are extremely empathetic um, and often very Type A personalities, and so then you take someone who's dealing with their own stress. So you take a dog or cat owner who maybe um, is stressed by the pandemic, has mental health issues of their own, has recently lost a family member, is going through a divorce. And maybe this animal is the thing that's keeping it all together for them, right? Like this animal is who they rely on. This is their support animal. And then they come into us and that animal's sick or that animal's dying and it's too much. And so then where's the natural person to direct all of that stress and anger and grief? It's the vet, okay? Um, and so we've seen a huge increase in this the last year. Um, presumably due to just the variety of things that have been happening that are, you know, in, in 2020, 2021. People um, try to blame you. People try to blame the vet for the cost of care, which yeah. they recognize that the cost of care is what it is. Exactly. Um, get pet insurance. I'm a vet. I have pet insurance. It really, really, really helps, and it's worth every penny. Um, but, yes, there's that financial stress, too, and we often will kind of get blamed for that. We truly are in this industry because we care about animals. And so just please be patient with us. Be kind. We don't like the long wait times. We don't like seeing your pet sick. We are sincerely doing 
everything in our power to do the best by you and your pet. And I think sometimes amidst the grief of everything happening, that is really forgotten. Um, my front desk staff, um, they often will take the brunt of it. They said about 25 to 30% of clients are yelling at them currently um, related to a variety of issues. And the, and that's pretty consistent amongst a lot of vet hospitals. So that's, that's insane. I mean, you would think that the person who's just like, you know, we, I look at my dog as if he's my child. And, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, why would I beat up the doctor who's trying to save my child's life? Right. And it is, it's, it's such an emotional place too. when, When you have a pet that's sick and you're dealing with so many other things, so often I end up talking to clients and it really is the straw that broke the camel's back and they start talking about the parent they lost this year, how they just lost their pet or how, um, you know, a family member was just diagnosed with cancer and now their dog's diagnosed with cancer. And so often it's this unloading and that I'm always happy to listen and, and try to give me a better perspective on how this feels for a person individually. Um, but for some people, uh, it's it's just we are an easy target to take that out on because you vets tend to be very kind uh, and compassionate yeah i mean what would, what would be one of the things you'd love to be able to say and talk to a pet parent about um, you know? <laughs> oh gosh so many things uh get your pet insurance um trust your vets you know often as well we'll get well i want to discuss this with um, you know, I want to discuss this with my neighbor. I want to discuss this with my breeder. Like we went to school for a long time to do this. And, um, you know, for many of us, I think that there is sometimes a, an assumption that the more we do, the more money we make. And it's often actually exactly the opposite where many of us are salaried. And so the more time we spend talking to you, the more um, time we spend with your pet, the longer we'll be in the office. And so, um, you can break that down, that that's actually lower wages. And we're really doing it because we care about the animal and we want what's best for that animal. Um, and so just understanding that we are not in this for financial reasons. Um, this is a huge emotional strain. Getting pet insurance limits that financial piece of it. And I have no, I want to say quickly, I have no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not linked to any sort of pet insurance company. This is just legitimately um, it really is worthwhile to pay that little bit. And then if something catastrophic, like um, like a vehicular accident uh, happens, that's covered. Um, and lastly, and briefly, if you have a friend or acquaintance who's a vet, don't ask them for free advice. That's not what we want to do in our free time. We want to be reading and walking and studying and doing these things that are important to us. I always say, if you're a really close friend of mine, I am absolutely happy to talk to you about veterinary care because I know that that's a complimentary relationship. You know, like my neighbor asked me for vet advice, but she also dog sits. And if I've ever been sick, she'll run over and watch my kids. So we have this really kind of um, supportive relationship. But if you barely know the person, call your vet. Um, There's even some really neat online services now that you can call um, and get an app to get vet advice respect um, the the space that vets have outside of their work as their own time. Please and thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, no. And, and, you know, I mean, what else can people do to support, you know, veterinarians in the local community? Um, you know, if you see someone posting really negative things on forums, if you have something positive to say about your vet, 
We do read those. Almost every vet that I know actually will go on and read the reviews on Google or Yelp, etc. And so if you have a really positive experience, just say that. Um, because it helps balance out, you know, some of the people who might complain about wait times, um, things like that. It really is meaningful um, to get that positive feedback. Yeah, and sometimes people just complain just to complain, right? You know what I mean? So, yeah, I know, I, I know we recently we had a little issue with our doggy, and we had to take him to the vet. And, you know, we were literally looking at reviews. Or something. So I was like, well, how could somebody write something like that? You know, you wouldn't write that about the local emergency room. Right. And it's it, it's interesting because I feel like often when people have a really positive experience, it doesn't kind of tick on their radar. To, and I'm guilty of this as well. It doesn't tick on their radar to write something positive. Um, but if you have a negative experience, and so um, I've seen really good hospitals get torn apart. Um, and there are, there are cases as well. There was um, a famous case on the East Coast. I cannot remember exactly where. And this was about eight years ago, I want to say, um, but where a woman was, uh, a veterinarian was harassed um, and eventually committed suicide. Um, and, and we do uh, see people leaving the fields over over people doing this. You know, talk about the, the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of times veterinarians are threatened and, you know, not just giving bad reviews online, but, you know, you get bad calls, people jump in your face, act like the maniacs yeah. Um, so there have been death threats uh, at hospitals in the Denver metro area due to wait time. Um, I used to work in a different state and I was lunged at by a client. Um, many, many vets that I know uh, have been harassed online repeatedly um, by clients who had a, a negative experience. Um, and sometimes it's wild. You know, I've had um, I've had clients yell at my support staff for perceived political views. And it, it's, it just doesn't even make sense. Politics and pets? Come on now. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's, you know, we're going to care for the animals of anyone uh, who comes in our door. Um, the exception being uh, if people are racist um, or misogynistic or uh, people who swear at my support staff, we will not see them. We're starting to put a hard line on that, um, that obviously we won't tolerate any sort of um, racism or homophobia, transphobia, things like that. But otherwise, we don't care about your beliefs. We care about your pet. Um, and so for someone to kind of be yelled out for something like this at a hospital, it's just completely out of place. Um, and it doesn't happen infrequently either. That's, that's absolutely insane. What is something you change about the industry as a whole, if you could? Um, I would love to see, um, first off, objectively, uh, better pay, because I think that that would alleviate the financial aspect, especially for our veterinary technicians. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out to techs. Um, they are horrifically underpaid as an industry standard um, and horrifically underappreciated. These are people who can restrain the most aggressive animal. Um, and, you know, I have videos that I've taken in secret of my techs placing like 10 blankets under a pet and tucking them in all cozy. And so they do all these little things for your pet that are just never noticed. Um, and so I would like to see their pay go up because it, their pay right now does not reflect what they do for vets as well, but particularly for the support staff. Um, I would love to see um, uh, just kind of better support for the mental aspect of things. And this is changing through groups like Not One More Vet and not just in the, the aspect of um, 
here's a pizza, you know, like, Hey, we'll buy the staff pizza or Hey, go do some yoga, but actually like, let's talk about mental health. Let's reduce this stigma. Let's support taking mental health days right now. Many people that I know in this industry will actually not even take a sick day because we're so short staffed. They don't want to be a detriment to anyone else. And so, um, you know, they'll come in if they're feeling snuffly. Um, and I'd like to see better support for people actually getting the rest they need to then come back and do these 18 hour shifts, be very mentally sharp um, and emotionally sharp to provide the best experience for the pet, the client and themselves as well. Well, can you talk a little bit about the fact that there are so many vets that are starting to retire at such a younger age now because what burnout is that part of the reason? Yeah, and uh, myself, I'm actually transitioning. Like I said, I have a really um, supportive boss uh, and I have no complaints about my job, but I am um, going back to school um, and uh, I'm going to a, a work from home position at this stage for a lot of these reasons. Um, but for many people, my body just started revolting. I'm almost 40 and it's done the long shifts. Um, and for many people, the the time they're losing with their families um, or the inability to realistically save any money leads them to go into other fields. I know vets who have gone into parallel fields, um, meaning research in academia or are going back to school. I know vets who have become realtors. I know vets who have um, become photographers. Um, I know vets who have just left altogether and are, you know, going to uh, work inside their home as a, a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad until they figure out what they want to do. Uh, and so uh, there are, we're seeing, you know, vets who've been doing it for 30, 40 years retiring, but we're also seeing vets who are as little as five years out calling it and going to another field. For their well, that's, also, that's, that's disturbing because it doesn't seem as if the enrollment rate in veterinary school has gone up. I, I don't know what the numbers are, but um, if it's like the medical community, you know, that we're, we're on a, a fast moving train towards, I mean, we know already that this year, 2022, we will be close to 500,000 nurses short in America. Nurses, you know, we'll be close to 300,000 doctors short in America and we're not replacing them immediately. So we're going to start seeing, you know, doled out, yeah, doled out medical care in humans. We're going to start seeing the same thing in pets. Are we not? Um, and considering too that one of the largest generations uh, in our history, the baby boomers, are starting to become older uh, and and be needing an advanced level of care. That's uh, I agree. That's very concerning, and we are seeing it in our industry as well. What, what advice would you give a young person out there who really thinks, you know, I'm an animal lover and I would really love to become a veterinarian? What advice would you give them? Um, first off, if you really feel passionate about it, do it. I am in full support of anyone doing what drives them and what they are passionate and what they feel is their call. Right. Um, that being said, you have to love animals and you have to love medicine. That's one really important thing is it's easy to love animals, but it can be tough to love organic chemistry, which is required in vet school. And it can be tough to love anatomy. Um, and so really make sure that you are interested in that STEM basis as well. And then run the numbers as well. Um, realistically, you know, what uh, vet schools are actually advising um, for repaying loans is what's called income-based repayment at this stage, where you pay a small amount based on how much you earn. And theoretically, whatever you haven't paid off after 25 years can be forgiven. 
but then you're taxed on that. Um, and there's only a small percentage of people who will realistically qualify. Um, and so running those numbers, is this, is this financially feasible? And if it's not, how do I make it financially feasible? I know people who have done it as a second career once they saved up some money as a first career and have been very successful um, because they were in a better financial place um, by the time they became a veterinarian in their you know late 30s or early 40s. Right. You, do you see a lot of people transitioning in their late 30s or early 40s into veterinary? <laughs> One of my best friends used to be, uh, I think it was marketing, and she's about 42, and she graduated just a couple years ago, and I had a few in uh, my class as well. Um, if she watches this, hopefully she doesn't feel called out right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I know that she... Um, she was in a better place both to make the decision because she'd had kind of more life experience and had done this other field and had a lot of time to think about it. Um, and uh, also being able to keep up with student loans a little bit better. Um, there aren't many who do it, um, but it's, it seems to have worked for those that I know who went back to school. So now for you, are you transitioning out? You just said, or are you, you, yeah. So kind of a parallel move. So I'm doing a, a graduate certificate, which can be fed into a master's degree in wildlife forensic sciences and conservation medicine. So I'm wanting to move more to the wildlife piece. Gotcha. Okay. And um, hmm, I, we definitely wish you well. Um, <laughs> if people, I mean, what, what advice would you give those veterinarians who, right now on the job and literally suffering a little bit emotionally and they don't know how to get out of that funk. Um, one, you're doing a great job. Um, in case you aren't hearing it, I always like to say that to vets, you are doing a great job. Um, and uh, one thing I often say to colleagues is our job is to advocate for animals, including ourselves. We are also animals and we need to advocate for us. Um Advocate for yourself. Uh, you know, this This is a market where, uh, especially as you become increasingly skilled and show yourself to be dedicated and very um, uh, compassionate and skilled in your job, you can ask for better wages. You can ask for better pay and more days off. Um, you can make decisions, perhaps part-time work, perhaps relief work. Um, and so don't feel like you have to be trapped in this industry. And if this industry is destroying you, then leave. Um, it, there are other fields you can go into uh, within this. You know, some of the there's good telemedicine options now. And there are, um, you know, there's so many things that you can do with a veterinary degree. And I feel like I've done this myself, so hopefully I'm not, I'm speaking kind of more for myself, but um, I have gotten into the mindset that I've invested so much time and energy into this career, but our careers don't have to define us. If you're in a place to make a parallel move or step back um, or uh, change fields altogether, and if that's in your best interest, do it. Do what you need to do to stay healthy. Um, I don't want to be driving vets away. But I would rather drive a vet away from the industry for their own mental health, meaning they are taking steps, than lose a vet to suicide because they felt that there was no other choice. Thank you so much, Dr. Carey. But Daly, I got to tell you, um, you know, we'll, we'll, one last thing is I think I'd love for you to reiterate it. Maybe, you know, let's call it the the um, the animal, the pet parent guide 
But if you had to give a pet parent a guide to their yeah. interaction with veterinarians, what would be those top five things you want them to do? Top five things. Um, let's see. Be involved in the medical decision-making and ask questions. We love to answer questions. I would say if I cannot explain to you why I'm doing something, it's not the right choice. So ask questions so you fully understand what we're recommending and why, but also put some trust in your vet because we do, again, we do this for the benefit of the animal. Um, two, just practice kindness. Okay. Uh, day in and day out, we are getting screamed at, uh, in some cases, physically assaulted. Um, we are seeing an uptick in racism in the veterinary industry. So practice kindness. Um, three, um, uh, do proper training with your pet. There are so many great positive reinforcement trainers out there. When we have really friendly dog who's super well socialized and super friendly, um, that makes a huge difference to us. And a lot of people will adopt dogs who maybe are a little bit more nervous um, and are taking those steps. And we still appreciate that with those guys, knowing um, what the pets are comfortable with, what they're not. So we can practice medicine in a really fear-free way for the animal. Okay. Four, get pet insurance. It really does. It's, it's super affordable to get pet insurance. And again, I have it for my own pet. Um, it saved me thousands and thousands of dollars in care for my pets over the years. And that's coming from someone who obviously gets a discount because I'm in the field. Um, so that alleviates that financial aspect for you. And that's really important. Um, and five, um, Trying to think, it's like hard to. It's okay. <laughs> um, just uh, respect your vet's your vet's boundaries. I would say as well. Um, you know, if you're calling and you're not hearing back right away, I generally will tell clients if you call me with a non-urgent message, it may be 48 to 72 hours until I get back to you. Respect that vets will have those boundaries that they need to, so that they can eat and sleep um, and be with their family and do the things they need to do. And it doesn't mean they don't care. It doesn't mean they're sitting in the office playing Sudoku. It just means that um, there's a lot happening behind the scenes that you don't see as far as hospitalizing patients, um, prepping people to say goodbye to their pets. And so sometimes that non-urgent phone call is just at the bottom of the list. So no, thank you so much, Dr. Kerry Daly, for being, you know, so, so, so informative and helping us understand, you know, what veterans or veterinarians are going through and, you know, what pet owners are going through. I uh, can't thank you enough. I know people are going to glom onto this and really, really, really listen to what you have to say. So you have a great day. And for all of you out there, make sure that you keep tuning in to Free Thinking with Montau. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Montau. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please send us your comments. Thank you.